All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Revive Health Daily Briefing Live. This is our inaugural episode of our live podcast, which will go for the next 30 minutes, where we're going to talk about the latest, most important news, resources, and advice for health system and hospital marketers and communicators in dealing with this COVID-19 crisis. I am Chris Bevelo, health systems practice lead at Revive Health and your host for the show. I am joined on screen by Chase Kleckner, who is Senior Marketing Manager at Revive Health. Hi, Chase. Hello. And today we're also joined by our guest, Ryan Coliani. Ryan is Senior Vice President in Issues Crisis uh, at Revive Health. He leads our Issues Crisis Department and is one of our primary voices during the crisis, uh, both for the agency and for our clients. Uh, Ryan has spent more than a decade of experience working on some of the most high-profile crisis issues uh, that we've seen nationally, both inside and outside of healthcare. Ryan, welcome. Hey there, good afternoon. So bear with us. Uh, we stood this up pretty quick, and this is, like I said, our inaugural episode. Uh, what we plan to do is cover the latest news on COVID-19, uh, and specifically how it relates to marketing communications um, it, from a provider perspective. So hospitals, health systems, physician groups, anybody who's delivering care. Uh, we wanna highlight helpful resources. We wanna share what we're seeing, both with our clients and in the market, uh, and give folks a chance to uh, actually ask some questions of us. Uh, as we move through the show, you can use the uh, question queue in Zoom to just line up your questions. Uh, because we've made this registration open, we wanna make this as simple as possible. We don't always see the names of the folks, so if you want us to know who you are, uh, let us know that in your question. Uh, it's fine to ask the questions anonymously as well, uh, but just let us know if you want us to cite who you are. And also know that we're gonna be posting a recording of this uh, on our websites by the end of the day, and each day we do this. So you can go to Think Revive Health for that. Uh, eventually we'll have a landing page where all these will exist. You'll be able to subscribe like a podcast. Uh, but again, like everybody, we're moving kind of fast. So um, we'll get there pretty soon. A couple of notes before we get started, just to make sure it's clear, uh, Chase, myself, Ryan, probably anybody we put on this podcast, we're not experts on COVID-19 itself. Uh, we're not clinical experts, we're not medical experts, we're not scientists. Uh, so just make sure that you keep all that in mind as you hear us talk. Uh, we do of course have opinions and suggestions on what marketers and communicators could be doing. Um, but also remember everybody's situation is unique. Uh, that's always the case, but as we see this crisis unfold, obviously markets are different, individual organizations are different. So make sure you take whatever we're telling you uh, within the context that, context that works best for you. Um, and then finally, just a kind of semantics issue. Uh, we've been kind of grappling with this. I bet everybody has, but I'm gonna quote from the AP style guide here. Uh, and it says, COVID-19 is acceptable on first reference for the coronavirus disease that first appeared in late 2019. Because COVID-19 is the name of the disease, not the virus, it's not accurate to write, to write or say a new virus called COVID-19. Instead, you would say a new virus caused a disease called COVID-19. All right, so that's the official book. Um, we will probably be referring to COVID-19 as a catch-all, maybe the COVID-19 crisis, and I would undoubtedly say we will slip into saying coronavirus, or as some people are shorthanding, corona, 
um, though I'm sure that beer company doesn't prefer that, uh, as we go. So don't call the AP police on us. We're, we're doing our best. Um, but semantics matter. Communications matter. That's why we're having this podcast. That's why all of you are trying to do what you're trying to do. And semantics matters to communication. So uh, we just want to put that out there first. So let's dive in. Um, we kind of have this broken out into different segments. So we're going to tackle some resources that we think would be helpful. We're going to touch base on some news points, uh, spend most of the time on things we're seeing and providing some advice, uh, and then wrap again with questions. So in terms of resources, uh, if you're like us, you've probably been inundated with hundreds of emails and resources from all over. Uh, we're going to share a couple as we go through uh, some of the other content today, but we really want this segment to focus on resources for us, those of us in the marketing communications field specifically. Uh, obviously, things like the CDC website is a resource we're all aware of, um, or your state, your state uh, health department. Uh, but most of that is is focused on the outbreak and the crisis itself. Uh, we want to kind of try to find resources that would be helpful for us and the jobs that we're doing. And so the one we're just going to highlight today, because it's the best one we could come up with on our first go around, is the advisory board. Ryan, have you visited the advisory board site? Yeah, they have a lot of great information. I, I get their email digest that they've been putting out, I want to say daily now, um, with a lot of good information there on, on kind of how the story is tracking. So I've been enjoying that resource as well as to some other news outlets and just making sure that we're staying up to speed as to what's happening nationally. Right, right. They, as they typically do, have a lot of um, great content. They have some scenario planning um, stuff in there. They have some tools in there. A lot of it is focused on uh, the business side of, of what we're doing, of course, related to, to COVID-19, but there is some communication specific content in there. And so great place to go. Uh, you just go to advisory.com and from there, you'll be able to find a link to, I think most of it is housed in their, to Ryan's point, their daily briefing section but they have a whole section aggregated for COVID-19. So that's, that's one place we would advise you to, to go to. And again, as we do this every day, because our plan is to do it every weekday, um, it's kind of interesting. This is probably the only podcast that intentionally desires to have the shortest lifespan it could possibly have, right? It'd be great if we didn't have to do this more than a week or two, but uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to go a lot longer than that. Um, we will provide more resources like that. So check out advisory.com. Let's talk about the latest news. We've got two items. And again, the latest news is kind of a, it's kind of a difficult thing to put out there because it changes every second. We're all inundated. So we're just going to try to pick a couple of things that we think are important. Uh, we thought about starting the segments every day with a, a, an accurate count, an updated count. Uh, and again, that's something we all have access to. Uh, so that's not new news. You probably all are doing that on your own. But we think it's important relative to this content and this conversation uh, because it's important to have the context of where we're at in this crisis. And the count is a really clear-eyed way to, to think about that. You know, As it continues to grow, you need to think about how things are, are changing. Uh, and as when we hit a tipping point and things start slowing down, leveling out, um, that's important too. So there are a lot of resources for this. Uh, the one that we like to use is the John Hopkins um, COVID-19 global cases website. 
So uh, we will post in the show notes link to that. I'm sure all of you have seen that. Uh, right now, if I update it, what I see is, now I did this earlier and it was offline. So we'll see if it, if it stays online. Okay, so total confirmed cases globally is 207,518. Uh, in the United States, it is 7,300. So 7,324 uh, confirmed cases. Uh, and just so you know, they count presumptive positive cases as confirmed uh, with total deaths at 115. Uh, that's a lot, obviously. And I think one of the ways to put that in context is um, to look at what the New York Times puts out. They have a chart on their um, update that shows the daily cases reported in the United States. And that actually shows you how this is ramping up. So you can see like yesterday, um, it was up above 1,200 cases reported. If you go even a week back, you're looking at low, like 200, 300. So um, as we unfortunately suspected, this thing is ramping up really quickly. So again, not to belabor it, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but just important to kind of keep that marker in our mind. Uh, the other news story we wanted to share, and it's just one news story, uh, but we thought it did a really good job of kind of depicting the challenge we're all facing and those that we're serving our communities are facing. And that's a story that came out in the New York Times today, written by Tim Herrera. It's called My Coronavirus Test, Five Days, A Dozen Calls, and Hours of Confusion. And without getting into the details of it, basically he came down with symptoms as a reporter and he started reaching out to try to figure out how to get tested. And this, he does a really good job at depicting what the experience must be for those of us out there who are trying to go through this. Um, and he, he calls the CDC, he calls local hospitals, he calls local urgent cares, he's based in New York City. Uh, he gets different information from each of them. He hears different things. As one example, he talked to somebody from the CDC and they told him, okay, the next step is we will call you back. Don't do anything until we call you back. And days later, he had, still has not heard back from the CDC. Um, thankfully, he did connect with some other folks. Ryan, did you get a chance to check out that story? Yeah, I think it, it really kind of reinforces what we're hearing from other hospital systems. And if you think about, you know, the, the broader COVID crisis that we've faced over the last couple of weeks, and I guess probably since late January, um, it really took until last Wednesday for the general public to really take a focus on it. Um, maybe, maybe it took Tom Hanks uh, testing positive for people to really pay attention. Um, and so over the last week, you see people and conversations online with individuals kind of scrambling to answer the questions. And for all the great content that's out there from hospital systems and from the CDC and from other information sources about what COVID-19 is, the, ultimately for patients and for individuals, they want to know what it means for them. What do I need to know to get tested? Where can I get tested? What do you want me to do and what, what, what is best for my well-being? Um, and so that's the challenge that we have as marketers and communicators to making that information clear in an environment uh, that's very cluttered and that only recently people have started paying attention. Yeah, totally. It, it's, you know, it, all of you that are, that are listening on this podcast, you're on the front lines and it's, it's understandable how difficult this is from your perspective to try to organize this. First of all, if you're, you're likely a marketing communicator, you can't decide where the testing happens. 
you're beholden to others in the organization who are figuring that out. Um, and so it's got to be so frustrating for those of us in this role to, to read this kind of story and, and know that like there's little we can do um, other than trying to be as clear as possible. One idea, um, and I don't think this is new or, or, you know, kind of discovering electricity kind of idea, but a great example of, of how to maybe deal with this is we've seen in Texas where a lot of the health systems have banded together and are trying to communicate as much as possible on a united front. This is something we see um, or have seen in Minnesota when the hospitals here have faced a, uh, a labor issue. And so oftentimes you'll have a union, a nurses union, for example, and they're negotiating with all the hospitals together uh, and the hospitals come together, obviously from a negotiation standpoint, but also from a communication standpoint to make sure they're all on the same page, they're saying the same things consistently. Um, and, and that may be something in some markets is already happening besides Texas. We would encourage more of that uh, because the more you guys can work together, uh, the less there'll be finger pointing, the less patients will feel like, well, so-and-so told me to check here, and now you're telling me to check there. Um, of course, just getting together in a council of health system communicators is one thing. Um, cascading that down through the organization is the real challenge. So uh, if you get a chance, read that story. I believe, Chase, I don't know if you know this, I think the New York Times, like many, have lowered their paywall for any coronavirus content. Do you know if that's true with the New York Times for sure? I don't know for sure, but I know accessing articles that I usually don't have access to. I've had, like, there hasn't been a, as long, I had, did have to create, like, a free account, basically, mm. and then had access to it. So I think maybe that's still the, the option as far as creating an account, but I did have access to that, that news story. Okay. Why don't you... Times is free, all. Okay. Times is free on Corona. Wall Street Journal's free. Uh, Washington Post, most outlets are at this point. Okay, great. So again, there's a thousand and one pieces of, of content and news out there. Uh, we're not going to dive into all of them. We just want to pick the ones that we think will be most helpful for, for this audience. Um, so definitely make sure you, you check that out and share it with people because it's, it's hard in this, a crisis like this to really put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're serving and everybody's doing their best. Um, but it really did a good job of illustrating that challenge. So um, check that out. So the next segment we want to get into is what we're seeing uh, from hospitals and health systems across the country for good and for bad. Uh, we're not going to pick on anybody. The last thing you guys need is us chiming in from the cheap seats uh, about what you're doing right or wrong. Uh, but if we're seeing best practices, if we're seeing ideas, we want to bring those forward. That's what our, our clients are asking us to do. That's what we're hearing from others in the industry. And if we see some things that we think can be done better, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about them, but we will not talk about who, who's behind those because you just don't need that on your, on your plate right now. So um, we wanna share a few things. And I think the number one question we're getting, Ryan, um, and I'm gonna ask it and, and let you kind of dig in first is, what should we be doing with what we already have in the market? So obviously, pretty much every hospital health system, when all of this has hit, um, and probably most of them right now, as we sit here, have marketing out in their communities. It could be service line marketing, could be brand marketing, that could be traditional um, advertising, that could be paid social, it could be digital. Um, what should they be doing with that? Uh, what are other hospitals and health systems doing with that? Um, 
as you think about how the community is um, thinking about you as an institution and how it's kind of all hands on deck with the with the COVID-19 crisis right now. Yeah, we're, we're hearing that a lot from from our health system clients, you know, how do we reposition or reframe existing brand campaigns or even service line marketing campaigns to focus on the COVID-19 crisis. Um, and so this may not be appropriate for everybody. It may not make sense for every, for every client, but um, some of the ones that we're working with are trying to really be conveners of answering the questions that we talked about earlier, almost a PSA style approach uh, to educate their communities about what they need to do, why they need to do it. I think that's the big piece why is it important for social distancing? Why is it important for people to wash your hands? Those types of things. Because there's a lot of information out there and a lot of people are feeling, you know, I feel healthy, why do I need to do this? Well, ultimately these steps are what you need to take to keep your community safe. Um, so evaluating ad buys, evaluating uh, uh, scheduled social content that's out there in the current environment is important uh, to determine if it's the right time to have those messages out there. Uh, because you certainly run the risk, depending on the content, of appearing tone deaf or, uh, uh, or not taking the situation seriously, even though every single health system is doing everything they can to manage this crisis. So uh, either repositioning existing buys, um, pulling existing buys, or if it's still appropriate, you know, if we're, if we're making an emotional connection with existing um, uh, campaigns, those certainly can still be appropriate. Uh, but I think taking a closer look at anything that's out there uh, to evaluate how it would play in the current environment is critical for health systems at this time. Yeah, and, and I would add to that two very specific things that I think make sense. Uh, obviously, if you are in a situation where you are um, stopping or slowing elective surgeries, you want to really look at any marketing that's driving that because obviously you don't want to be promoting people coming in elective surgeries that you can't even deliver. So that's an obvious one. Another obvious one to us is uh, the continuation of SEM campaigns. Uh, because while coronavirus is the number one thing we're all dealing with, there are all kinds of other health issues uh, that people are dealing with. And that might be heart conditions, that might be cancer care. And while you may not be promoting it as proactively, that again depends on a lot of the variables that Ryan just went through, uh, something like SEM, um, there's very little risk in running SEM. It's not like folks, they only see it when they look for it. Uh, and if they're looking for it, they need it. So we would recommend continuing those for sure. Uh, and then just really double checking on any kind of elective um, procedures to make sure that that's, that's appropriate. So that's where we're at today. Uh, and we'll continue to monitor that and, and look and see what other folks are doing uh, as time goes on. We'll continue to update that time goes on. Another thing that we're seeing is, and all of us are seeing this, and this is where I think a lot of our clients always ask us because we have so many inroads throughout the industry, whether it's clients or people we know, what are folks doing to address the issue just in terms of innovative um, care delivery? So an example that isn't innovative anymore, though not everybody's doing, is drive-up testing, uh, which, which is a fantastic idea. South Korea had it for a while. Uh, we had it announced uh, here in the Twin Cities last week. Uh, so that's an example. Chase, you brought up a story yesterday that I hadn't heard of before. And I think it's a great one for you just to share anecdotally, just to show how folks are trying to be really nimble with this. Yeah. So yesterday we woke up at my four-year-old 
daughter woke up with like severe abdominal pain. Uh, and in that moment, it was like, oh, the last thing we want to do is go to a hospital. So we called our pedi- uh, pediatrician. They said, hey, if you want, we'll, we're willing to meet you outside of the doctor's office so she doesn't have to come in. We'll check her out, make sure everything's good. Uh, and that was kind of their preventative way of making sure, because she had a fever at the time. And so just making sure things didn't get spread, which was I don't know if you're supposed to do that or not, but, um, but you know, it was really neat to see our doctors say, Hey, we're willing to, to do what we can to help you out. And I think in that moment, right? Like I realized you go from viewing this, um, virus and then in the moment you're in that story of like, Oh, if I go to the hospital or it's like, it's that like being able to communicate to these people and those feelings and being a little bit more empathetic of what people go through when they find themselves in that situation is really important because I think we can kind of play that external role. But once we make that story or where I found myself was like, this, this is real, right? Like this is happening and it's happening to people around us and friends and family. So I think just being able to have that empathetic voice for people in those situations is, is really important. Yeah, that's great. Ryan, real quick, do you have one that you've come across that you feel like is innovative in some way? Not, not to put you on the spot. Yeah, we've, we've seen a couple of health systems that have been really been specific about how individuals are supposed to receive testing, who qualifies. Um, and so a lot of systems are using decision trees and those types of things. We saw one system out in California that's actually using a chat bot. Uh, so go on their website, answer the questions. They'll decide, yes, you go this direction. No, you go this direction. And from a communicator's perspective, that's really, really helpful to drive people into those out of uh, outside of the hospital walls uh, options so that they don't potentially contaminate others. And the one thing from a risk perspective um, that I've seen a lot of health systems, unfortunately, not do as well is they haven't been as strong about telling people where not to go. Don't show up to urgent care to get tested. Don't show up to your primary care physician without calling. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's an area where the industry could be a little bit stronger in directing people, not only where they can get treated or get tested, uh, but also where not to go. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, and I, and I, you know, these kind of, um, who's the mother of invention? Is it necessity? What's that quote? Necessity is the mother of invention. Is that what it is? Um, crisis is the father of invention. Can I say that? Um, it's, it's times like these when you're forced to act and think differently. Um, because I could see something like what, what Chase described becoming a permanent type of offering at some point. Um, just because it's maybe easier for people to stay in their cars overall. Who knows, you know, for certain kinds of services. So um, I think we're going to be seeing more and more of this because people are forced to take um, extreme or different measures and some of them won't work, but some of them will be brilliant uh, and maybe things that change how healthcare is delivered permanently. So keep bringing you that stuff too. Just want to remind you uh, as we're coming to the close, uh, make sure you let us know if you have questions. We're going to get to those in like two minutes. One more thing. Um, that I think is important or interesting to share because I think even small things can matter. Um, This actually occurred to me earlier in the week and I thought, well, maybe that's just me. And then Ashley Merchant from our agency, who's um, one of our client leads, brought it up and I thought, okay, so it's not just me either. And and it's 
something we're seeing almost universally from hospitals and health systems, and that's using the imagery of the microscopic photo of the virus. So we all know what that looks like, right? It's the ball with the, the, the stuff coming out of it, the prickly stuff coming out of it. Sometimes it's shown in kind of floating in a sea of that. Um, there, in some cases, it's, you know, certainly the media is using this, but when we see it from hospitals and health systems, some cases it's just an image. Some cases it, it really comes off wrong. There's a, um, an AMC who I won't name, who has a primary color of red in their brand identity. And so when you go to their COVID-19 landing page, they have a huge, huge image at the top, um, full bleed of this, of the scene that we can all picture in our mind, but it's tinted red because that's their color. And I'm telling you, it makes me think of World of the Worlds. It makes me think of um, invasion, aliens. Um, you know, it's an example of how I think we so often default to our world, the world of science, the world of medicine. Of course, this is what the virus looks like. But would we ever show a tumor eating away at a brain as the main image for our cancer care? Would we ever show like a diseased heart for our cardiovascular care? Uh, would we ever show flame for our burn unit? Um, we would never do those things. And yet here we are, come check out our COVID-19 information showing this ridiculously scary image. Um, I don't know, right? Is it just me or Ashley? Is it just us two? Or do you think that that's a legit thing folks should be looking at? No, I think, I think imagery matters here. I mean, it's, we, we know how important it is. Uh, it's probably the thing that's going to resonate best uh, when uh, users look at content versus just the text, unfortunately. So making that first impression. So it's, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this earlier on some of the, the campaigns that our clients are running that are focused on COVID-19 is ultimately, you know, we need to have a, also an uplifting and empathetic message that's out there. And that an image like that isn't one that's gonna resonate. Um, so I think you're, you're t you and Ashley are totally spot on on that. I would highly recommend uh, using the right image or potentially even, you know, not even an image at all for some of that type of content. Yeah, yeah. And again, not to pick on folks, I, I, everybody does it. Um, but it, it does remind me again of that kind of inside out perspective rather than outside in. Um, and so just something to, to look at, right? Maybe it's appropriate. Again, all of this commentary needs to be put in the context of your situation on the ground and what you're dealing with. Um, we're near the end. We want to try to keep this as close to 30 minutes as possible. Uh, we do want to make sure this is a forum. I mean, for us, this is a place for folks to convene as much as they can every day. If you can't come, maybe you send somebody else. If you can't make it or nobody else can make it, you can listen to it. Again, we're gonna make this available on our website every single day. Um, so if you can't make it live, you can always hear the content. Um, but we wanna give people a chance to ask questions. And we've got a few questions in the queue. We're not gonna be able to get to all of them, but we will get to them um, for doing this every day. We'll have a chance to get to it, uh, if not today, tomorrow. I'm gonna to pick on one, which there's no way we can answer in three minutes. But I want I want Ryan, <laughs> excuse me, Ryan, I want us to give a little bit of context for this. And that is, how should healthcare marketers be addressing different generations? Um, the, I will say the one thing that's driving me nuts is the media. And there's kind of two ways they're coming at it to sensationalize it. One is like ripping on millennials as these careless, thoughtless people who are out there at bars and are on the beaches and they don't care about the elders and all that. Um, and then the flip is kind of the okay boomer thing. Like, can we just move past the okay boomer 
so condescending, um, not helpful in this situation. Uh, but is there, is there any tips we can give in a minute about how to start thinking about different generations? Yeah, I, I think, I think Axios had some, some phenomenal data out in uh, Mike Allen's uh, daily email today uh, that talked about the generational divide um, where it actually is, it actually is fascinating because yes, the younger audiences aren't as focused on it and don't feel that it, they need to take it as seriously because they feel healthy and all those other reasons. But older generations, those 60 plus are also, while they're feel fearful, a lot of them are also feeling like, well, I'm okay, I'm gonna be fine with this. And I think I, I told Chris this uh, uh, a couple of days ago, I was talking to my mom who's 65 and she was all excited about getting a cheap flight to Florida. And I'm like, mom, I know you feel great, <laughs> but don't, don't get on the plane. I mean, you're, you're at risk um, and you, know, you need to think about that. So I think we have to meet these specific audiences where they are. Uh, yeah. So we have to explain to millennials why it's challenging and what type of risks they are presenting to not themselves necessarily, but to the community by being out there and going out there. And I think you're absolutely right, Chris. We can't do it in a way that's shameful uh, because you're going to have that immediate reaction to the OK Boomer piece of like, hey, I'm fine. I don't care about you. Um, and you've, you've caused a lot of these healthcare problems. And then we get into an entirely different debate. Um, and then from, for, for older generations, um, I, I think we need to, to make it very clear about what types of risks they are presenting for themselves by being out there. So more, more personal to what it means to them. Uh, and then the last piece uh, from, it's not necessarily a generational challenge, but we still have a political challenge on this topic. Uh, there is a vast divide between how conservatives and Democrats are responding to this specific issue. And I think health systems have an opportunity there to lead to articulate why it's not, you know, to, to articulate to those two uh, groups why it matters to them. Um, and why this shouldn't ultimately be a political issue. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's funny because I think I've heard six stories like the one you just described, right? Including my mm -hmm. own dad who's 80 and part-time tutors kids at a mathnasium, which is a tutoring um, outlet. And Friday, I'm like, you need to stop working. He's like, well, you know, I'll consider it. Like, Not a good idea for you to be <laughs> playing around with a bunch of seven-year-olds who God bless them, are not the cleanest humans on earth. So, um, yeah, I think that's great advice. So we're going to wrap it, and we've got more questions in the queue. Um, we will address them tomorrow and as we can moving forward. Uh, really appreciate people joining us. If there's something you'd like us to cover, put it in the chat tool right now. Um, I want to say thanks to Chase, as always, and Ryan for joining us. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And remember to visit thinkrevivehealth.com for recording today's episode. Remember to share this link and this podcast with others you know in the field. Um, and our, and our sign-off message is really to all of you out there, hang in there. Uh, the work you're doing, um, you know, it's not secondary to the doctors on the front line. Communication is so important to helping us get through all of this. Uh, and so hang in there and keep doing the amazing work that you're doing. And we will be here tomorrow. Uh, to help you through as well. We'll talk to you, talk to you then. Thanks.